Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. BPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International, Tuesday at 10 p.m. on ACB Radio Maine, or wherever you get your podcasts. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Did I sound like Anthony Corona? <laughs> what do you think, Leah? <laughs> you sound like Gabe to me. <laughs> but I was, I was kind of stealing. You were Anthony's. trying. You were, you were trying to do a credible imitation, but you know what? You still sound like Gabe. <laughs> okay, good. I like sounding like Gabe. <laughs> How are you, Leah? Welcome back to Pride Connection. I'm good, Gabe. I hope you've had a good week since we were here last with you. Um, we actually will be joined by Anthony momentarily. Um, yeah. We we are um, waiting for our guest to join us this evening. Uh, you know, but in the interim, you know, Gabe, it's really struck me that it is the 1st of September with fall. It is. On the way, it's just um, really shocking to me how fast the summer has um, gone by this year. The entire year, I would say, Leah. Yeah, it's true. I feel like we were sitting here at, at New Year's yesterday. Um, you know, I it's amazing, too, that we have been at Pride Connection and um, recording this program and, as of late, doing live uh yeah. presentations of this program since March, we are almost six months old. I mean, we're almost Yay. at a point here where we're walking. Huh? <laughs> I like that. I like that. We should make a show <laughs> out of Pride Connection starts walking. <laughs> Give us 21 years and we'll actually be drinking. Um, <laughs> well, I already am. So I'm wondering, Gabe, if you Even have anything. Even though I'm not 21 yet. No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that next time I offer you a drink. Um, oh, no, do you please. have anything? Do you have anything you want to say in terms of uh, BPI? Do you have a president's message that you want to Absolutely. give us? Absolutely. Um, as always, right. welcoming everyone. Like Leah, like you just mentioned, um, we've been doing live shows these past couple of weeks, and uh, we've been. Um, Touching on a very, very important and relevant subject with our very dear friends and members, um, immediate past president of VPI, Will Burnley, and uh, very, very, very um, honorary member of VPI, Cheryl Cummings, um, great contributors. And um, we decided to um, kind of take a week off uh, from the conversation just to, you know, kind of mix in between a little bit of different topics and today we're going into the entertainment um as soon as anthony comes on board he'll tell you more about our guests if you haven't seen it on our announcements who you know we're very excited to have on board tonight 
But I also wanted to announce that um, this conversation on racial justice will continue. And uh, actually next week, you will see the announcements being put out. Uh, we will have another Pride Connection show that is this time going to um, revolve around the emotions surrounding everything that has been going on in terms of racial justice and injustice. And we'll hear, um, you know, real life experts. We'll hear the voice again of Will Burley and Cheryl Cummings. And then um, we want to, as always, BPI has uh, a characteristic where we love to create a safe space and we like to offer a safe space for everyone to come on board and express themselves and uh, share their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, their opinions in a safe way and a respectful manner. So the day after our Pride Connection show, uh, talking about the emotions of the racial justice topic with Will and Cheryl, the day after, which would be Wednesday, September 9th, we will be hosting a community call through ACB um, for everyone to come on board and just have an open and candid conversation with everyone who wants to chime in and uh, express, let it out, because we value the importance and we know the importance of being able to to let it out there and and share it with 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 people who who understand each other and with people who are here to support and love each other and respect each other's opinions. So so that's what's going to be happening next week. So stay tuned. You will see the announcements out there. And uh, besides that, yeah, like Leah said, we're six months old here at Pride Connection and we're so, so grateful for all your support. We receive your feedback and we usually answer very quickly and we do respond to everyone's feedback and we give our community what they ask for. And with that being said, Leah, I don't know if I'm the only one listening, but I think I heard both Anthony yep. and, and our guest our come in. Guest star joining yes. us tonight. So Leah, if you have if you don't have anything else, I'll hand it over to you and then you can hand it over to Anthony so that he can introduce our guest star of the night. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun. Uh, Anthony, are you back in the room so that you can announce our guest? I am. Can we hear good. me? Yes. Okay, Welcome. Good. loud and clear. So <clears throat> I hope you guys are vamping a little bit while uh, we were taking care of the technical difficulties tonight. We are very pleased to present a conversation with Mr. Ian Buchanan. You might know him from shows like General Hospital, where he played Duke Lavery, or Bold and the Beautiful, where he was psychiatrist James Wilder, Warwick. I believe. No. Uh, Warwick, that's right. And uh, there's some questions coming later about him and Sheila. Uh, he was on All My Children as Dr. Greg uh, Abbott. Oh, God, I can't remember names anymore. Madden. But he was a uh, Madden, yes. He was the man who stole Erica King's uh supposed to be aborted embryo and raise the child for himself. Twin Peaks, modeling, voiceover work, animation, and now starring in the Instagram series, Enter Exit. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Ian Buchanan. Thank you. Welcome, Welcome to the show. Thank you. So we definitely have a couple of questions from some of our members, but um, I wanted to start off. You grew up in Scotland. You started modeling in England. You had a career in Japan, England, Europe. 
you came to America, you worked as Trigio Armani's private fitting model. Tell us a little bit about going from growing up in Scotland to becoming an international model. Um, all like a huge surprise, I have to say. I had no idea when I was uh, growing up, when I was a child, that I was in the slightest <laughs> attractive. So it all became, it was kind of like a big sort of shock to me, actually. Um, I think I had to obviously leave Scotland to um, to have that kind of either understanding or appreciation. But uh, like, a, yes, my life has been full of like major, major like changes. And, and uh, I could never have ever dreamt that it would become what, what it is. And uh, never would have thought I would ever have the courage to become what I have become, who I am. So, Well, it seems throughout your career path, as, as soon as you get comfortable doing something, you take on a new challenge. Um, you know, before we leave the modeling, I mean, that was the, the heyday of the, the 80s. So Seven, what was the business like at that point? Yep. And yeah, yep. what, was yep. it as, as crazy as, as we all think it was? The parties and then you know the yeah, you know what it was it was definitely uh i would say for me it wasn't crazy because i've never been i've never been crazy so i've always kind of taken things i've always been very cautious uh with everything that i kind of allow or have like have close to me so it wasn't crazy it was a little heady at times it was definitely very colorful which i loved and i kind of you know i still think that is like a very important part of life is just being colorful and i was surrounded by very large like personalities who were like you know uh, just larger than life and and but it wasn't i mean i you know i I have never really taken on more than I can handle, so I'm not quite sure what that's about. So, but except, you know, I never was ever suddenly like, felt like it was way too much or way too this or way too that, or I never felt that way. I think uh, my, who I am has been, you know, like pretty steady and my kind of moral compass or my integrity has always been like pretty has steered me in a fairly steady fairly straight path so i i never was i mean maybe like once or twice i'd say like wow that's kind of you know that's a little more than i can handle but then i would probably have removed myself i believe so you know ian it, it really sounds like you kept your head above water during those times i kind yes. of got um i kind of got fascinated a few years ago, I, I stumbled upon a biopic film of a model. He went by the name of Gia, I believe, who was quite... I, I knew her. I knew Gia. Yeah. yeah, she was quite famous in the late 70s and early 80s. And the the biopic kind of um, got me to read a biography of her. And it really highlighted the... Um, it really highlighted the extravagance and the overindulgence of that time. And I was particularly taken with her because she just seemed like such a 
oh, she just seemed like such a dynamic personality who kind of fell to all that sort of largesse of right. that time and place. Yes. And um, I'm wondering if you could, if you did know her, I'm wondering if you could speak about her a little bit, because it seems like you had a completely different um, I, 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 view yeah, of that I, time I, and experience. Yeah, I did. I, I, I knew Gia, but I also knew like a lot of people like her. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's, I think it's always up to the individual. I'm sorry, my notification is like pinging, like off the wall here. Uh, I just think it's always up to the individual. Like it just, you know, depends. Like, you know, you could, someone like Gia was this like great force and this great, very powerful, strong individual had weaknesses. And I think, you know, I, I, you know, I have weaknesses, but they were not things that would bring me down because I could see very clearly that any weakness would be taken advantage of by people around mm. me. So that was not my, that was not my thing. That was not my that was not my, wasn't for me. That yeah. For, for people that are unaware, uh, Gia died of HIV related yeah, causes in the mid eighties. Yeah. yeah. As a lot of my friends did. Mm-hmm. I, I lost, like, I, I sometimes think uh, back on days of my life in New York in the eighties where every single person in my life on one day is no longer here. So wow. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, Ian, if we did a conversation a while back about, you know, similarities between the pandemic that we're facing now and yes. the early days of HIV. Yes. Could you could you expand upon what living in New York was like at that point when, you know, when it was really coming out in in the world? I mean, we knew, you know, the world knew about HIV in the 70s, but no one paid attention. No one, you know, it wasn't big enough yet. But then Suddenly, all of a sudden, it, feel, it felt like one day it was nothing and, and nobody really knew about it. And the next day it was everywhere, it was, and yeah, especially um, in New York. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, think about uh, those. I think about that time where it was kind of, I think it was called the gay flu or maybe the... Yeah. It, it, it was gay cancer. It was called the gay flu because it usually was people died of pneumonia, but they also mm-hmm. would be, you know, covered in lesions and chaos. Like mm-hmm. yeah, which was like a very like early like a very early <laughs> sign. And I, I kind of remember socially because I was still quite young, but I remember socially going to things where people would nudge and say, you don't want to sit next to because have you seen he's got a, like he's got a, on his, like it was kind of very bizarre. It was not, I mean, I think this whole like COVID like 19 situation is a little more overt than that initially was just this kind of great, enormous fear. And even like, you know, very highly intelligent, very sophisticated people did not want to sit next to a homosexual at a dinner party. Wow. And made that very clear. Wow. So I... Like, did, it, did it resound in, in the modeling world in the beginning? You know, uh, I, did think, things- no, I think it did. Actually, mostly kind of interesting with like a lot of 
like the uh, high-profile photographers actually kind of, I mean, I, I won't like call out names, but I think it was like kind of known that there were like several of the major photographers got, got sick very quickly and died. And a lot of stylists and mm. then models, I, I'm thinking. But, I mean, yeah, it was, it was it's interesting. It didn't... Well, uh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go on. I was going to say onto something a little bit more, not that, you know, we want to poo-poo on, on that topic, but onto something a little bit more exciting. You eventually became Giorgio Armani's personal fitting model. How did that come about? And, and that uh, must have been an incredible honor at the time. You know what? It was like just like another day in my life at this time because I was probably like 22 or 23. And I went to Milan to work on for the International Wool Secretariat to do their catalog. And I got a call from my agent to go to uh, Giorgio Armani's like, like studio, Atelier. And I went there and he kind of measured me and then I became the, his ideal size. So uh, being his personal fitting model was not, it wasn't like I kind of tried the clothes on, then he wore them. Uh, I just happened to be kind of the perfect, his perfect um, kind of sample size. So that was, I did that for several years. I'd go to Milan like one day a month and, you know, tried stuff on and get measured. Never once walked uh the runway for uh senior armani i never did that but, um that was all right i did like a couple of photo things for them so that was nice was lovely well for our listeners um and as you know we're um we're a blind lgbt yes. intersectionality organization um but all of our all of our parent organization, American Council of the Blind is listening tonight. But for those of us who may not have been introduced to you in a visual way, could you give us a brief description of what you look like? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. I, <laughs> I have, I've never had any idea of what I look like. I, 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 Kind of, and this is like, I was like a fairly roly-poly chubby kid. And whatever, whatever reaction that I experienced to that have been the reactions that I have kind of been left with. And thinking uh, when all of that changed, I still, even now when I do kind of comedy or I do stuff and people laugh, I think they're laughing at me, which is like so funny because... I had like my best friends when I was a kid and I'd leave their house like at nine, 10 o'clock at night. And I had a hand-me-down, it was called a car coat, like a little donkey jacket, but it didn't fit because it came from a smaller person, came to me. And I would uh, kind of like try to button it when I left my friend's house at night when it was cold in Scotland. And I'd try to like button it across and it would like barely like cover my, like guessing my very white hips and I would walk up the hill in front of their house and I turned around and they were all in the window laughing because here I was waddling up the hill in this like ill-fitting coat. And that is kind of how I see myself. I don't know how I never managed to escape that, but that is how I see myself. So I, I have no, unfortunately, I'm sorry, if you can't see this, I can't see it either. So it's... 
Well, I only lost my sight four years ago. And listeners to who are familiar with Pride Connection know that I've been watching General Hospital since I was three years old with my grandmother and my mother. And I remember the first day that Duke Lavery stepped onto the screen. Duke Lavery was the character that Ian played. I don't know exactly how tall you are, but I'm picturing you about six one. Um, in my, but you had a very angular face, jet black hair, gorgeous deep eyes, you know, and a smile and and just a presence that you commanded. I remember my aunts all gathering around the TV when you um, started to woo Anna Devane, played by the brilliant Sonola Hughes, um, also known to some people from uh, the Saturday Night uh, uh, franchise with John Travolta, and also as Anna Devane for years on General Hospital. But when you started to woo her, I remember my aunts just like glued to the television day after day, wanting to know what you were going to do next and gasping if you ever took your shirt off. So, you know, we can definitely understand why you went into modeling. And as I said earlier, it seems like whenever you hit a comfort zone, you moved on and did something challenging. So from modeling to daytime, how did that, that come about? That that is uh, still like a mystery, even to me. I have to say, like so many things in my life, is a mystery. I was uh, I had had come to New York, brought by the Ford Model Agency, in 1981. And when I got to New York, I sort of felt like maybe it was the place where I could become an actor. Um, only because I was gone from all of my sort of friends. And I was totally alone. So I went to Lee Strasberg, the, the Theatre Institute, and I signed up and I started like studying. And then from there, I got to go to, like very fortunately, to the Actors Studio as a foreign observer. And when I was there, I worked with a wonderful coach and I got to uh, do like different things, uh, and we did a work in progress of The Maids, Jean Genet's The Maids, with three, three actors playing three women. And they did on a Friday afternoon in their like, kind of like session for like, work in progress. And I, we got to do that and agents came and ABC, the network came. And they, uh, for some obscure reason, as I was like half in drag, like a half-assed drag queen in this play, <laughs> And they, came, <laughs> they kind of said, like, you know, we would like to you to come to the network and our, our, our talent development. And I was like, seriously? Like, for what? And they were like, soap opera. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. So I went in to meet them, and they put me on tape. And Gloria Monte, who produced uh, General Hospital, at the time she saw the tape, and she flew me out. And I was on a soap opera, like, within, like, Two, two months, I guess. So, I mean, yeah. Yes. Well, the Duke and a pairing is one of the legendary couples of General Hospital. Um, yes. You know, it's you guys are still spoken about to this day. You got to resurrect the character years later and play out some more with that storyline. But that developed into a lifelong friendship with Finola. And yes. it also developed into a lifelong career path. You went to various other shows, you did a long stint on the Bold and the Beautiful, um, and one of our viewer question, one of our uh, listener questions, comes from Sherry, and she wants to know 
what was your favorite scene and what was it wor- like working with Kimberlyn Brown, who played Sheila, who is probably one of the baddest baddies ever to grace daytime screen. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, my favorite, I, I, I loved working with Kimberlyn. Uh, my favorite, I liked this. I liked when she had me chained to the wall in the, uh, Houdini. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I liked that. I just thought it was like, so like, I, I kind of liked the fact that she was in control and, um, I like it. It was like a, it was a battle of wits and I love the way it was written. Like Bradley Bell did a like superb job of, of, of writing and crafting that story. And I also, I mean, she's like a consummate professional. So I, I love that. That was, that was kind of my favorite, you know, the whole thing with uh, James for me was like playing I think it might have been, I think in my own life when I, just by playing that character, I probably kind of came across like integrity and professionalism and authenticity and all these things. I kind of, you know, you're sort of young and you kind of go along and uh, go through every day and take everything on and just do it. And you don't really, I did not really pay that much attention to like the value and the like or just what things really meant but playing that character kind of like focused me in a way that has remained with it and playing the character 17 years it has remained with me for like you know it's part of my life so i mean i'm very very grateful for that it was like a very it was my I think my first non-flippant, like non kind of a, he just was for me somebody that I related to, like totally so. We had another question involving Bold and the Beautiful, and this comes from Michael. He wanted to know, um, he read along the way somewhere that you became lifelong friends with um, the woman who played Stephanie, an iconic, iconic Actress Susan Flan, uh, Flannery. Yes. Um, did you ever hope for a romantic entanglement on screen? And what was it like to be gifted with her friendship along the way? Um, that's a really that's a good question because I I feel like uh, every show I, I have done I've been gifted with the friendship of like a wonderful like woman which has been extraordinary you know Fanola. Susan, Rebecca Bodig, Kimberlyn, Barbara Crampton. I've, uh, but I think uh, Stephanie and James had a little romantic entanglement at one point, and I don't, I don't think it really went anywhere. But it's, it's always interesting when you're kind of like French, or well, not French kissing, but kissing your best friend. It's always like very interesting because I've had that experience with Fanola, of course. But when I had that with Susan, I was like, <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, she and I are still like totally close. She's one of the few people I've seen. She and Fanola, a few people I've seen during this, like uh, since March, during this pandemic, this this lockdown, this quarantine. One of the few people I've actually seen. It's been lovely to to see Susan, lovely to see Fanola. It's just been like, you know, like that's a major part of my life, major part. So 
this question is mine. Um, the fabulous and iconic Darlene Conley, who unfortunately we lost quite a few years ago, but Sally Spectre, one of the most iconic characters on the daytime, you know, is legendary. What was she like and how much fun was it to play with her? Um, she was, <laughs> she was kind of extraordinary. She was larger than life. As she, of course we all know. I, uh, a body broad. Yes. Yeah, she was a body broad. I kind of, she, I met her on general hospital first. I think she played Norma Connolly's sister, maybe and Kelly's. She sister, was, yes. Yeah. I think, uh, so I met her then, but I got to know her like and traveled with her when she was on Bold and Beautiful. She was the most extraordinary, um, most extraordinary woman. She loved, uh, she loved being on television. She loved being famous. She loved like everything about it. In fact, last time I saw her, I went to see her in Susan Flannery and I went to visit her like just weeks, I think, before she passed away. And she was staying with her caregiver in her caregiver's house. And while we were there, like visiting with her, she got this message that to say Mario Lopez was on his way. And did she want to put on makeup and fix her hair because he was coming to dance with her? And it was the most extraordinary thing because it meant the world to her. And she got rid of us very quickly because she adored Mario. <laughs> It's Susan wow. and I were both like kicked out like like within five minutes. Hair and makeup arrived. They gussied her up, made her look as gorgeous as she ever looked. And Mario Lopez arrived and danced with her for a full hour. So I mean that's my last memory of Darlene. But I have many memories. I think we were in London together. We were have been in New York together like many, many times. Um she was like a very, very wonderful, wonderful lady and somebody I hold very dear. So. so, you know, you went to All My Children. You did some time on Days of Our Lives. But you also did quite a few memorable um, guest appearances in primetime. You had a supporting role on Twin Peaks. What was it like at that point when Deanna, Deanna Duke pairing had shot you into the stratosphere, one of the amazing super couples of the soap opera age, and then you started going into primetime? Can you tell us, you know, a little was, bit about I, that for I mean, Yeah, my whole, um, I think uh, for me personally, my, my kind of experience in primetime was almost like to get away from my whole like daytime kind of, you know, thing it was more it was more it suited me because there was always comedy involved it was lighter it wasn't uh it didn't seem to me just about you know what i looked like which i was like very happy to get away from because after the focus of that for you know between modeling and um general hospital it was like you know years of just like you know what i looked like and i was kind of very happy to get to play these kind of lighter like uh for me much more interest almost like character like i've always considered myself to be probably like more of a character actor than a sort of romantic leading male which i i mean that to me is like a such a vapid like vacuous area that I kind of always like to play 
character stuff. So that's, I mean, what I did with, that's what I uh, set out to do with Twin Peaks and all my other, like, you know, primetime guest stuff was always like this, just to make it like, uh, not just like me being well lit, me being like, whatever, like a whole, like, you know, kind of more interesting for me, actually. And uh, still, I mean, that that is something I think I would much prefer. So, I have two more questions that came in via email when I put, uh, put this out for our members. And uh, one is about Twin Peaks. And uh, the question is, while you were filming, did you realize how big that that was was happening at the time, how big it would become, that it was, you know, cultish in its, and did you really appreciate at the time, you know, what that, what that was doing for television? No. I'm paraphrasing because no. I don't remember the question exactly, but. No and no, no and no. I didn't, I, I, I actually had, uh, I did a, uh, I did a campaign for um, Calvin Klein Obsession, the, the, perfume or the scent and i did the campaign i remember that yeah david lynch directed <laughs> i did it with lara flynn boyle and on the day we shot it david uh david lynch said to me like yeah, do you wanna you'd make a good dick do you want to play a dick and i was like uh well on what he said well i've got a show would you come like see me on tuesday and i was like well sure so i went to see him on tuesday and uh, I never read. I just went to meet him and uh, Joanna Ray, his casting director. And I was here in L.A. on the Friday, and I was about to go out to go to a dinner party. And I got a call from my agent saying, you're, you're going to start like Twin Peaks on, you know, next week. And I was like, okay. So I went to the dinner party, and, you know, my friend says, so what's going on? I said, oh, you know, not much really, but I'm doing, uh, I'm starting a, this show called Twin Peaks. And they were like, what? Are you kidding? It's the biggest thing. I was like, really? Seriously? So I, I had no idea initially going into it. When I got into it and met the people around and also kind of like loved the writing and, you know, Harry Goes is still my close friend who played Deputy Andy. And Kimmy, Ro- Kimmy Robertson, who played Lucy, is still like one of my best friends. And a lot of the, the cast and the, the young girls, When once I got in the whole thing, I realized it was going to be a very important thing. Not so much for me, but for like just like for television. But if uh, you ever said to David, like, you know, uh, People have, like, you know, if it wasn't for Twin Peaks, there wouldn't be picket fences, there wouldn't be six feet under, there wouldn't be, and David would say, well, if it wasn't for Rawhide or Wagon Train, there wouldn't be Twin Peaks. So I kind of was always kind of aware of just the perspective of that whole thing. The last question that we have from somebody who emailed in is, is it true that you turned down a role on Melrose Place? And if so, it's Aaron Spelling. Were you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I think I met them. I didn't turn it down. I don't think I did. One of those Hollywood bigger than, yeah. You walked I, in, no, met them, but no, it was never I, an actual I went, to, I went to meet them, but I don't believe I turned that down. I've turned down like a lot of things, but I don't believe I turned that down. I mean, if I did, then sorry. Is, is there any role that you turned down that you regret now? That I... That you regret turning down? No, no. 
I I like that answer. Is there any role that you really wanted and wished you could have gotten? No, 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 none whatsoever. I I, uh, met the uh, Broccoli's for James Bond like twice. And I like, I have no regrets that didn't work out because that would not be my life. I mean, this is my life. That would not be my life. So no, I have no, I don't regret. I, there have been several things that I really wanted that, um, thankfully, I got, but there's not been, I mean, not, no, not much that I, I mean, I, it's funny because I don't, I think as an actor, you, you kind of take rejection perhaps, so you take like whatever, and I have gone into meetings and met with people and then I never think about it. And then I'll be going down Sunset Boulevard, maybe one year later, and I'll see like a billboard and it'll be the project I went in on in it will have somebody else. And then for the first time, I will say, wow, they didn't like me. Isn't that weird? Those people didn't like me. Somebody else got that. I never think about it. Like, <laughs> never think about it. Never, never crosses my mind. That's pretty darn healthy. You know, I, I've heard publicly, you, you know, in other interviews, you've said that your management team, you know, during the heyday of, of General Hospital and again with Bold and the Beautiful wanted to transition you. You did some prime time, really wanted you to go into feature films and yeah. that wasn't where you wanted and needed to be. No. I, I'm I'm really curious if you if you talk a little bit about that. Why you know I think most actors, not all, but most actors, they would you know stop short of killing to get out of daytime and and onto the silver screen. Yeah, um, I you know I think the first like whatever my first experience of either like a movie or where I went to work and they put me in like a trailer alone before we had cell phones or before we had like any way to communicate and just sat, I would sit there for like hours. And that was so opposite of my daytime experience where you have, you know, you're in a dressing room and you're in like, you know, dressing room, like, you know, 10 dressing rooms and everybody congregates and hair and makeup and, you know, people like talk and, you know, communicate and, for me, it was the loneliest place in the world. And I also, I just, even now to this day, when the idea of just being alive for like five minutes of the day is like, no, it doesn't, never really work for me. So I kind of much, that's why I, I love stage and I love daytime. You're kind of on your feet, like, you know, 10 hours a day stage like not but you once you get there you have to like you know kind of be active and busy and do what you have to do so i'm not very good at sitting around waiting never didn't work for me so So we're not gonna we're not gonna bother you about your personal life but i was wondering if you could talk a little bit first about modeling and then about acting in general the daytime community the primetime community what it was like for the different stages of your career for LGBTQ brothers and sisters who were in the business. Uh, I know it, um, I know in the modeling world, it was a lot easier to, to be who you were, but when you transitioned into acting, was it the same type of attitude? Uh, you know, I, I, like, I was very lucky with modeling in the seventies and like early eighties. 
as David Hockney, the, the great English painter, like always says, like, you know, we were bohemian and I was a bohemian. We didn't, there was no kind of discussion. There was no excuse. You just were like somebody who happened to be kind of like colorful or musical or loud, perhaps, or going into acting. Yeah, there was definitely, definitely, there was a very subtle pressure to, I think I could probably like define it by saying I was taken aside by somebody from a network and told nobody wants to see who you sleep with just keep it really quiet and i was like well i'm not like i that would not be like an issue for me because it's like i i like they were just like well you nobody wants to see it you have to kind of maintain a mystery and you're like you know we're you're being paid a lot of money uh there's more to that story but i kind of like i think if the person's still alive i probably can't tell it but I, yeah, there was definitely a sort of a, but I never, I personally never wanted to be dishonest. I always, once I discovered integrity, which is something you, nobody teaches you, you find it. I didn't want to live a lie. So I have like carefully crafted my life through telling the truth and also maintaining my privacy by telling the truth. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I would, it's interesting. I've kind of kept like a very detailed journal of uh, my journey and things that I have experienced. Not bad, really not bad. But I have been, was told like several times to put a lid on it. Um, but I'm an actor. You know, I, we kind of, you know, it's, you can't be a good actor and just not like be in touch with every single part of like your being. I don't define myself sexually. I would probably define myself sensually, but um, I'm not, uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't very fortunately never had a struggle either with my family with Never a struggle, definitely like a little opposition, but not for me a struggle because I kind of was not my struggle, was not my struggle to either explain myself to anybody who I kind of did not respect, but I've never felt that, I never felt that need. I most definitely wouldn't ask you for any names, but were there periods of time where, you know, directors or other actors or actresses, did you know we always hear that the daytime community is a big family and everybody's yeah. you know part of each other's life were there times where you were not so much part of the family because <laughs> of you know, because of the life that you were living um that's interesting uh if i think about that i would say only by other people who were protecting themselves not by the general uh ah. Mm. which I think is the way things are. I mean, I, I that's, have... That's oh, a microcosm for life. What? I said that's representational of life. Yeah. Our biggest, totally. our biggest I, you know, no. challenges are... Yeah, yeah. I, and it's interesting. Like, I've kind of... I see people uh, now, I've known, like, most of my career, and who are gently trying to be a little more honest and everything, and I, I'm totally supportive, but... It's been sort of interesting because, you know, I, 
Just interesting for me because I've never lied about who I am. It wouldn't suit me because if I lie about who I am, then I'm living a lie with people that I love and people I'm close to. And I don't, that doesn't, never really set very well with me. And I see other people I've known for a very long time arriving at that place. And it's kind of, that's sort of interesting. It's interesting to me only because the dialogue over the years and the me being excluded, which I never have ever felt excluded. I'd love to be left out because I have so much to do. It doesn't like, it's, it's like, yeah, please cancel me. It's like fabulous. I'm like, mm-hmm. don't, like, I have so much to do and take care of and things that occupy my time and my mind and my sensibility and my just, you know, my quality of life that I, you can't really, I've never, the other thing I have to say, and I kind of came to this because Anthony, we had this kind of pre-conversation. I got to say, everything is so personal that I've never taken it personally. Anything that people have ever held against me, I see it as being about them, not about me. I've always had that wonderful kind of like very blessed having that distinction. Anybody who wants to attack me, I, I look at like, it's not about me, not about me. I like, it's, it's about where they're coming from. So I, you know, I, uh, that's been a very interesting part of this journey also you know, to survive that, I think, is, is, is it's a great blessing for me. Great, um, great blessing. Um, there you go. Around I'll up. ask you one more on this topic. Two of the shows, of course, General Hospital being your first show. Uh, you also had a, an amazing turn on Days of Our Lives. And they both have very significant uh, gay characters and and actual you know front burner storylines so do you think that the daytime you know the two shows that are doing it now in the daytime community do you think that they've caught up and and they're doing us justice um i think they're (laughs) i think they are presenting that i'm not quite sure it's like who they are i think that's what they would like i uh, yeah, I you know I'm a I'm a huge fan of General Hospital since I'm three years old. But I I have to say in the you know if you're going to do one versus the other, um, Days of Our Lives has given the characters their characters, their people. They're having all of the same storylines, all of the same issues. They're not kind of trouted out and then tucked back away until you know needed again to to make a statement. They're full on front burner. Whereas General Hospital, to me, just quite hasn't fleshed out the characters to be really human. They're more characters of, you know, what they'd like to present rather than actual full-on daytime characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you played a little bit with Will and Sonny when you were on Days of Our Lives, didn't you? Uh, with, uh, I did, yeah, I did, yeah. I did. I, I you know, yeah. I, I don't, I have uh, very... I mean, my kind of understanding of all of that is like, I think I, yeah, I just, I, it's, it's kind of like, I, I'm not like, I don't really like stereotypes. I don't like stereotypical storytelling. I don't like, I think everybody 
has the possibility, every single character, of being fluid. Um, you know, I got... I, and also with a lot of, you know, the primetime stuff that I've done has been kind of a lot of, you know, like a lot more looser okay. than my daytime stuff. So I don't... Um, I just, I, I, and knowing kind of the background and knowing the people involved, I just, sometimes I, I just find it disingenuous. So I don't, um, not well, we fight. have a few more minutes. Um, I've been very fortunate. It's not been my fight. It's not been my, it's, it's been kind yeah, of your uh, mantle to carry. Yeah. We have a few more minutes and I know COVID has opened up some strange for instances and scenarios for all of us, but it definitely opened up a strange one for you. Lifelong friend, Fanola, who of course we mentioned earlier is Anna on general hospital. Um, you guys are working on an amazing project, which is a lot different than anything most of us have seen before. Tell us about how enter exit happened, started and uh, a little bit about the show itself and where to find well, it. Well, you know, Fanola as usual, like kind of, uh, she, kind of reached out to me and said, like, you know, what are you doing? And I was like, well, nothing. I'm kind of like, you know, I've been here since came back from uh, Scotland in March and I sort of been here just like, and she goes like, well, do you want to do something? And I was like, what? And she said, well, I have an idea for a show. And I was like, okay. So she and Matt Bourne, who was the writer, somebody we've known for 30 some years, uh, they created this Interexit show, which was kind of based on she and I are mostly, I wouldn't say our characters, but mostly based on our relationship, which is her talking me into doing something. So we, uh, they came up with the, with this whole premise and got a uh, beautiful, like Brooklyn Selzer, young girl who played, who plays Anna's granddaughter on Journal Hospital, and uh, Mark Anthony um, got us all involved, and we all like just filmed ourselves, shot ourselves using iPhone, iPad, like computer, and then submitted it to Chris Kazor, who was the most brilliant uh, editor, also director, who put everything together. And then we got this other kid we've known since he was born, he was 24 now, uh, Cesar Maria, and he did this extraordinary original music so it's been like great i've loved it everything i didn't like the first day of it i was kind of like i you know sitting at home filming myself and talking to myself was not something i liked and then i kind of got into it so i love it i just watched the last uh, the last two episodes they're apparently genius but i just lost uh just watched episode nine today and it's like great it's really cool i love it good could you imagine when you were sitting there with your iPad and your phone that it would come out as good as it did? No. And, and it really flow as fluidly as it did? No, no idea. No clue. No clue. I was like kind of, I, I think uh, after we had uh, submitted like our footage of the first episode, I, two days later I called Fanola and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. It just feels like so... It just feels like not like, you know, I don't need to have like a lot of people around me, but it just, it feels so isolating. It makes me kind of feel lonely. It makes me feel like I, I it just makes me feel totally like lonely. Like, and she was like, okay, so, okay, can we, let's see. And 
we next few days we did like two more episodes and then i was like yeah i don't feel that anymore i'm good i can do this i can handle this it's good it was good i liked it it was great, great for me great experience i just loved it i loved uh, i loved the trust of just handing rough anything over to somebody who then can craft this just like beautiful i mean i think like extraordinary i mean this last episode looks like a almost like a movie it's like you know so so we have two minutes left um we are a blind pride international the intersectionality between lgbtq and uh low or no vision any inspiring words for our members oh just be your best show up just you know do, do, like I'm always amazed, like especially during these times where I mean I've found myself for the first time in my life being despondent only with everything that's going on, and not, not just pandemic-wise, but also politically. It's you've got to show up, be your best, do what you can for others. Which I, uh, I mean, I, which sometimes for me is like an effort, but it's very important. To just bring your best and 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 listen to other people because you know my needs I have found are very little. Other people have needs which are things that I can accommodate without too much. Like it's 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 kind of fascinating. I find when we get through this, when we get to the other side of this. It's going to be very interesting because I've found it. Bring, has brought out the best and the good and the worst in the bad. So, but I think it's definitely brought out the best in me. It's taught me, I thought I was patient. I had no idea. Now I am <laughs> patient. I thought I was like a great communicator. And now I realize, oh my God, it's like my, I get a headache from like just listening and understanding and trying to just find like these levels where I don't feel threatened. I don't feel threatened in the slightest. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I don't feel threatened, but I, I kind of listen to people who feel vulnerable and threatened and feel like they, and you know, you can be there. I can be there. I can be there for them. I'm kind of there for, um, step up. I say, just step up to everybody. Step up. It's not about, your fight it's not about your problems it's not it's, it's bigger we're all in this together so i i that's kind of how i feel and gets a little overwhelming but i think it's um we're all capable of that so no it's beautiful well, Step up. thank you so much for joining us tonight thank you for those beautiful words enter exit can be found on instagram under ian buchanan or finola hughes well, uh, if you have any I, questions i think her numbers come she hers are like you know i think if uh, i think we may go into season two like thankfully to this great response so awesome we'll be watching thank you so much for joining us tonight ian thank Good you ian. Connection. thank you very have much a great evening, best, everyone. Best, best, my Good night, best everyone everybody all the best and be healthy be well please everybody thank you you have been listening to pride connection sponsored by blind lgbt pride international for more information go to blind lgbt pride.org they will find it the rainbow connection the lovers the dreamers